0: Good morning. It is good to be here this morning. Uh, we're certainly blessed and fortunate to have the opportunity to worship God, continue on the freedoms that God has afforded us where we can worship him freely. And it's a blessing to be here. I want to, especially, uh, Jerry and Carol Dunlap, they, uh, they are, they're back and, uh, they have had their vaccinations and, uh, it's just been a blessing. They had a pretty difficult year last year. And, uh, but they're here, and what a blessing it is! Good to see you. It was a joy, I know. Yeah, Amen. Uh, my heart, and I'm sure many others. Just it's good to see you. Uh, Dave McQuarters here, and and we like Dave, but we love Kayleen, and uh, she's still at home. You know, she fell, had uh, broke her hip. They've done surgery. She's in rehab. She's struggling with that right now. She's going to get through it, but we need to continue to. Uh, keep her in our prayers, and uh, I, and we are, and we have, and we will. So uh, always many to give thanks for and, and to be in prayer for. Also, Johnny, thank you. Thank you. What a blessing, and uh, it is good. I do want to mention to you very quickly uh, next week, next Sunday, uh, the Still Creek Ranch. All the kids and house parents and uh, the folks involved with Still Creek are going to be here uh, and, uh, and so we have several of those things, the uh, ministries that we support and have supported uh, on a fairly regular calendar. We'll have that calendar out. Uh, we're going to have folks like SOS, Save Our Streets, House of Hope, uh, Still Creek Ranch. They'll be here and uh, worshiping uh, with us. We're going to have our, you may not be aware of it, but on Mondays and Tuesdays, we have uh, classic conversation uh, groups that visit here. Uh, we're also they'll be in our calendar. And it just gives us an opportunity to have fellowship together, worship. And and uh, and we can see as a congregation uh, the ministry that we have, that we've partnered with Christ and with these folks. And so it'll, it'll be good. House of Hope is going to come back on the 21st. And uh, Mark Bendixson is going to have our worship. He's going to share his testimony and uh, lead us in worship with House of Hope. That'll be the 21st of, of March. Uh, And so, again, much to be thankful for. Uh, It is good to be here this morning. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. If you're familiar with the gospel of John, in chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus makes a claim. He said, I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Um, just one of the statements that he makes about his personal ministry, he he would say, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, And so he came and said that I came to do my Father's will. But in John 10 and 10, again, he said, I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, that's a great statement. I think what happens when the Bible talks about love or the Bible talks about peace or the Bible talks about abundance we, have, we, we need to always put that in the framework of what God considers or how God defines love or peace or abundance or whatever that topic is. Uh, there is uh, your definition, there is my definition, and then there's God's defining of that statement. You and I talk about love. How does that measure with First Corinthians 13, God's definition of love? And you can just do that, any topic. And so I want you to think in terms of that statement. I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Uh, what does that mean? Now, you and I may have a definition of abundance. Uh, would it be the same as God's definition of abundance? That's why I like Philippians. And Paul would write the Philippians. Remember, he's an old man. He's a prisoner. Uh, he, he, uh, he is being held. He says he is a prisoner in chains. He has appealed as a Roman citizen to Caesar to give a defense of the things that he's been accused of. And so we have uh, the Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, letters that he writes to churches that he had had a relationship with. uh, And he is a prisoner. And so it's called the prison epistles, the letters that Paul wrote as he was a prisoner. And so in Philippians, in the fourth chapter, he makes another statement. He said, "'I have learned the secret to be content in every circumstance.'" And so you have Christ saying uh, about, talking about abundant, an abundant life. Paul would say to the Philippians as a prisoner, I have learned the secret to be content in every circumstance, but the statement is, I have learned, I have learned. Jesus would say in his ministry, he who has eyes to see, let him see, and who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so uh, the scripture, just like Paul read this morning, is designed to teach us. So that we can learn. So now, Paul, that statement. Because I, I think I asked this last week. If, if I said to you, who would, who would like to have an abundant life? Who would like to, uh, you know, Matt? You know, I, would you like to say, I, I have learned the secret to be content in every circumstance, no matter what's going on in my life? I think every one of us would raise our hands. Absolutely. Hey, preacher, I want some of that. Okay. So the scripture. States it, and then the scripture proves it. And so as Paul, as Jesus would make his statement, Paul would write about his life uh, in Philippians in this chapter one. I, I mentioned last week, verse, verse six of chapter one, Paul makes a statement that has to do with an abundant life and the contentment in any circumstance. He says, verse six. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in me will what? Will complete it, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's read that again. Paul would say, I am confident. The one who has learned the secret to be content in every circumstance writes, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, the entire book of Philippians is the proof of that statement. He makes the statement. He does that in every letter. In the introductory statements of Paul's letter, he makes an opening statement, and the rest of the book is the proof of that statement. So, so, uh, you know, Rick, if you wanted to say, okay, I want some of that abundant life. I want to be content. Well, the recipe for that begins with this statement. Well, where's your confidence? Well, yeah, Jesus said I, I came you might have life and have it more abundantly. I'd like to be confident. But it doesn't appear. You know, he says that he did, but I don't know if I can be too confident. Look at what is going. Just like, man, look at what is happening around us. How can you have confidence in the things that are happening around us? You'd say, well, I haven't learned the secret to be content in every circumstance because my daily life is faced with all kinds of hurdles and obstacles and difficulties, and I'm not content in those circumstances. And so Paul says, I'm confident of this very thing. And our lesson last week dealt with the first step in that recipe. One of the things that he would say, he says, I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse seven, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. I I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Last week's lesson that really focused on that. If If you want abundance, if you want contentment, If you want confidence, the first thing that better happen is you better do an assessment of your life. And you better assess it from this this beginning, the first teaspoon in the recipe. And that is, who are you and who have you surrounded yourself with? Everybody here has that choice. Everybody here is a partaker. What is that? Everybody here is taking something associated with something sharing something. We're all partakers. That's that Greek work. And I mentioned that last week, what it meant. So everybody here, even shepherd over there, this little infant child, he is a partaker right now. He's a partaker of just pretty much everything mom and dad give him. And then you get to partake with shepherd. You get to partake with his smiles and his, you know, these wonderful little moments. So it was great, but you also get to partake in his tantrums, but he he not he don't throw tantrums, does he? You know, you get to partake in his tantrums and his... You know, I don't think any of us know what fear is until one of our little children gets sick. I mean, boy, all of a sudden you think you were scared now. Oh, my. So we're partakers. We're You're partnering with, you share, you associate, you know, as we have a child and as we live, the places that we work. And so... If I'm going to be confident of this very thing, that Christ, that God who began a good work in me is going to perfect it until the day of Christ, step one, I, I need to do an assessment. Who, who and what am I partaking in? Now, here's the truth. If I'm, if I'm a partaker of grace, confidence. Now I have confidence. Now I can be like Joseph. And you go back to the book of Genesis at the end of his life and all the terrible and un. Things that he wasn't guilty of. His brothers sold him into slavery. Potiphar, uh, his wife, accused him of something he'd not done. Thirteen years in prison. And and at the end of his life, in the assessment of his life, he could look back and say, what man intended for evil, God intended for good. He was a partaker of grace. He, He extended grace to his brothers who had conspired to really kill him and then sell him into slavery. They became partakers of his grace, the grace of God that was given to Joseph, and so on and so forth, throughout Scripture, right? So you ought to ask yourself when you get up in the morning, am I a partaker of grace? Do the people around me, are they partakers of grace? Paul wrote write to Corinthians, he said, bad company corrupts good morals. Listen, you, not only are we partakers of something, we are partakers of who we associate with. And if you're a partaker of uh, listen. There's two kinds of people in the world and you and I Are the living proof of that there's givers and there's takers. I don't care From the day you're born Until the day you die You are a giver. We are a giver and we are a taker now in christ And that great passage that Paul said, although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you. If you have the ministry of reconciliation that Paul would write to the Corinthians, what happens is you become a giver. You become a giver. I don't think any of us ever completely, as God is working in our life, become all in, 100% giver. I don't believe that. But I do believe as we grow in Christ... And we begin to understand grace that we become more of a giver than a taker. I just believe that. But you ought to be able to do that on the basis of God's grace. Jesus said, he who has forgiven much, or he who has forgiven little, is thankful for little. But he who has forgiven much, loves much. And so when you begin to assess and do the assessment of your life, and you read, and you understand, and you believe the second chapter of Ephesians, although you are. Oh man listen you were dead in your trespasses and sins but yet God being rich in mercy he has now saved you you have been saved by grace through faith that not of yourself lest no one boast so as you believe that and you become uh, to live in that realization that my lands he did in fact save me not on the basis of anything that I did, just because of his grace and i'm like that sinner in luke 18 dear lord god almighty have mercy on me a sinner And then as you begin to understand that, live that, believe that, go to Romans chapter 5, and it talks about God being rich in mercy. He poured his love into our heart through the Holy Spirit. Even while we were enemies of God, if you believe that, What happens is you are becoming a partaker of grace and then you began to associate with people and you began to be partakers of grace. We partnered, we're sharing it, we're associated with it and you can look at every marriage, you can look at every church, you can look at every relationship. You ought to be able to measure a church. Are these people holy, pious and religious? Are these people partakers of grace? It's pretty easy to see. So that was step one. Now here's step two. If you want that abundant life, learning to be content in every circumstance, confident of this very thing, that God who began a good work in you were perfected until the day of Christ, now here, listen to the rest of it. For it's only right for me to feel this way, verse 7 about you, all because, uh, because I have you in my heart. Since both my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Verse 8. For God is my witness. For God is my witness. How long for you all but the affection of Christ Jesus. I want to challenge you to do something if you'll do it topically. Genesis through Revelation. Just Google it. You can Google it. How many verses in the Bible make the statement, For God is my witness. I know the number. I'm not going to give it to you. But you'll do. it would be a wonderful study for you. Now, he makes a reference here based upon their relationship. But of all the language the Apostle Paul would have ever used, and then you tie that to all the verses, Genesis through Revelation, where it says, God is my witness. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, what statement would you make that would carry the most weight spiritually, biblically, personally in your relationship with God? And Paul would answer this, for God is my witness. God is my witness. So, and i am go back to Matthew and Lindsay over here because you got a little shepherd there. You are witnessing his life more than anybody. You, you are eyewitnesses of his life. You, you know everything about it. You start to figure out things about him that nobody else. You kind of probably know what makes him cranky, what makes him happy. You're learning his little idiosyncrasies really are. And and uh, and so it, it start that parent child relationship, which the scripture is very full of God as parent, we're his children. But you 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 could be an eyewitness. I, let me tell you about Shepherd. This is the truth about Shepherd. You could right. And do you think it's just going to get more and more emphatic? Yeah, absolutely. I listened to an adult this week talking to me about their two children and they were saying one child is this way and the other child is this way and raised in the same house with the same set of rules and one is very compassionate and kind and giving and the other is incredibly selfish. All that just thinks of themselves. And Struggling with that, you know, I mean, same parents, same set of rules, same household, one very, and the other one, they're witnessing and they're eyewitness. They can witness, see, and then testify. It's a legal term. And so let's just get very personal. This has to do with my abundant life, being content in every circumstance, and then being confident because I, I would just say again, if you could live the days of your life, waking up going to sleep the vapor that is our life is what the writer of hebrews is moving forward here's something that you would want and you would need and that you should want and you should need our flesh and the earthly things of this world doesn't listen the flesh our flesh and the earthly things in this world doesn't want you to pursue an abundant life according to god a content life no matter what your circumstances are because of your relationship with God and confidence that God is doing the very thing in your life. Satan does not want that for you. He does not. He'd rather you uh, try to pursue an abundant life that is self-centered and and the, the, the accumulation of riches and me, me, me and my kingdom seeking my kingdom rather than his. You'll never have contentment. Solomon would say it in Ecclesiastes, I've done it all. I have done it all. I I can witness, I can testify to what I have done. In my pursuit of wisdom, I have accumulated everything that a man could want. I have withheld no pleasure. I have built and built, and I've been wealthy, and it's all vanity. Satan wants you in the abundance of what man would say, the contentment that man believes that you'll get by going for the gusto, drinking the right beer, whatever it might be, dressing the right way, living in the right zip code, area code, whatever it might be, pride in any number of things, well, I'll find my contentment. No, you won't. You'll find no genuine eternal contentment, no genuine eternal abundance separate and apart from God, and you'll never be confident. You'll never be confident. You will have false confidence, and then the days as they wane, I have witnessed... Uh, over a dozen times maybe two dozen times in the last many years of ministry in a hospice setting somebody's dying a christian is dying and so many times and it's so sad when you start to hear the recapping of their life this is what you hear oh my oh my this thing went by past this thing went fast The, the word of god is true our life is a vapor And the older you get, the more you realize, oh my, it seemed like just yesterday I graduated from high school and and just yesterday I did this and just yesterday I got married and just yesterday, and now here I am. I'm old, I'm feeble, I'm fearful, I'm weak and I'm dying. And then the assessment comes. And it's sad. It is the saddest thing to witness as a minister to a fellow, a, a Christian that's dying and you see the scales of that where there isn't, there is not the assessment of an abundant life, contentment in any circumstance, confident, confident of the work that's being done or the work that they did in their life. It's a harrowing thing. It, it, it's depressing. I've witnessed it. But I have also witnessed the other side. I have witnessed somebody who, man, my life has been wonderful, God has met my every need boy, it's not been perfect. It's been difficult. But that God, the that peace that surpasses understanding, God got me through it. And I saw something and I learned something. And it was spiritual and it value, had eternal value. And I'm confident, I'm confident to live as Christ and to die is gain. Death, where is your sting? I have an eternal hope laid up for me in heaven. There is the contrast. and And, and, and here's the recipe. And... This is that high point that you and I better start assessing ourselves daily. And it is is the highest language that Paul could use. It should be the highest level of thinking that you and I have. You ought to ask yourself, can I say out of confidence and contentment that God is my witness? What is God witnessing in your life? There's nothing that He doesn't know. Do you realize that uh, there's no fear that God has not seen? No fear. We we live in a we can live in a continual state of fear. It's the opposite of faith. Do you realize there is no fear that God has not seen? None. You couldn't create a scenario of fear that God is... Oh, God hadn't seen that before. There's no fear that he has not seen. There's no evil that he has not witnessed. There's no battle that he has not seen or known. Not one. And so, whatever that is in my life, the battle the fear, there is no selfishness that he has not seen. And, 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 and one of the things you learn about your kids real quick, they're selfish. And, and the selfish little infant can grow up to be the selfish little adult. And they're prideful and and there's no pride that God has not seen. And so the question is what if you and I could say to ourselves with confidence out of an abundant heart and the contentment that comes from a relationship with God we could say God is my witness. God is my witness. Now but what would you say? Would you say it? Would you be fearful now to say it? God is my witness. He's the witness of my pride, my selfishness, my fear, my my lack of faith. God is my witness. It's all based upon one thing. That Paul would say it. He said listen he said for God is my witness now in this statement it has to do with how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus now that's a pretty good statement that's one of the God is my witness he's saying God is my witness how I long for you what a great what a great thing with all the affection of Christ Jesus what a great thing you know we're told Jesus will say we're supposed to love our enemies I'm sure it takes a lifetime to get there. But what a great thing that you could say that God is my witness. I'm sure of this. He would testify on my behalf that I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. What if your heart was full of that? Wow, what a great thing for God to witness. And by the way, if God witnesses it, the rest of the world will see it. Whatever God witnesses to, good, bad, or evil, the rest of the world can see it. And you see it. You can't fake this. I am sure the Philippians would say, you know what? Yeah, God, you could say that God would witness that. We know it's true, Paul. We know that you long for an affection with us in Christ Jesus but they could also witness, boy, I don't know about that. Paul sure didn't treat us that way. My mom, dad didn't treat us that way. That's not a, I witnessed something else, and I'm pretty sure what I'm seeing, God's seeing. Okay? But he could make that statement. He could make it with assuredness. Now, I want to say something to you. You know, we live in a world, culturally, I don't want to get too political, but we have a world right now that is decided that uh, Mr. Potato is a gender issue. This is what it is. We live in a time where we call good, evil, and evil good. It's right out there in the pages of Scripture. You can witness it, okay? So we live in a very confused world, and uh, we do live in that time where we call good, evil, evil good. So part of what's going on now is gender stuff, feminism. You know what you ought to do, but it'll, oh, boy, I tell you what, it'll take a big old strong dose of spirit humil- spiritual humility. Just read what Paul has to say to the Corinthians about the role of husband and wife, man and woman in a worship setting. Read it. I mean, he says things like a woman ought to be silent in the church. Now, why does he say that? Because he's anti-feminine? Or he's against women? No. He says that, so he says, look, as you assemble together, something needs to be seen. Now, Satan wants you to turn that into a male-female thing. God wants you to turn that into a witness thing. And when a stranger comes in, a non-believer, your life is not about your life. Your, Your life is about your life in him. But Satan wants you to believe that your life is about you and your rights and men and the sense of man's righteousness. Isaiah would say that, that man's righteousness is like a filthy rag unto God. Satan wants you to pursue the selfish righteousness of men that brings glory to him on a sense of very unfair scales but we've been deceived into thinking that it has something to do with fairness. There's a reason that he said this is the way a man and a woman and a husband and a wife ought to be seen in a church setting. Why? So when an unbeliever comes in, they can witness something. Oh, I see. I see how God works. God first, Jesus Christ. All this, the Holy Spirit, man, woman, child. There's an order to God's sovereign creation, his will And it's not about you. And it's not about your right. But see, we can't. You can live in what you think is abundance and what you think is contentment and where you'll get your confidence is. And then the bell is going to ring. The trumpet's going to go off. We're all going to stand, kneel before God. Every tongue will confess. And we're going to learn a whole lot about abundant living, confidence, contentment. And ain't going to have nothing to do with male and female and what you think is your right or my right but you can either say i'm going now to look at things as a partaker of Christ, confident this that god is my witness god is my witness about the affection that i have of christ jesus in my heart concerning anything beginning first with beginning first with my love of god and his word how many of you have how many of you have and could say that god is my witness that i long for the word of god with the affection of christ jesus you could put this is a relationship issue here what about your relationship with the word of god maybe the witness would be god is my witness that i have uh I, th- th- that i have an affection for social media or the things of this earth or my own personal pride and ego or my sense of right. Verse 9, in this I pray that you your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge, in all discernment. Again, if God is going to be your witness, good or bad, it'll be based upon a heart that prays and prays for what? When's the last time that you prayed that love, your love, would abound still more and more? When's the last time abundant life, content in all circumstances, confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day perfected? When's the last time that your prayer, as God is your witness, was based upon God, I need your love, your love to abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. My favorite verse in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians 2 it, 2. It, it takes every word from the beginning of Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens, to the last word in Revelation. Lord, come quickly. Amen. The one verse that bridges that entire first Alpha Omega is 1 Corinthians 2 2. Paul said, I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. One of the things I could witness to is that when the preacher preaches too long, shepherd starts crying. But but when's the last time, I'm going to finish here, that you prayed that, God, I need your love, not my love. doesn't say anything about your love or my love. Don't pray, God, uh, I'm going to get serious. Don't pray, God, uh, help me love my husband more or my wife more. Don't do that. Pray this, God, because my confidence needs to come from being a partaker of grace and you're my witness. And so I need to pray that your love, your love, God's love abounds more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So go back to the marriage relationship childhood parent relationship the most personal ones where would the real knowledge come from paul would say that it's the message of the cross and the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing and here's the saddest part of that that first corinthians passage says it's a scandal to the jews the word greek word is scandal on so the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing and it's a scandal to god's people you know why because the message of the cross says that you and I are hopeless, dead, condemned, judged rightly, lost because of the great sin in our life. And that doesn't sound very abundant to me. I'm, I, I visited with a highly intelligent, uh, highly creative person recently, and I was sharing the gospel with them, and you know what they told me? This is what they said. They said, I'm not a sinner, and I don't judge this person. You don't need to judge this person. This person has bought into a worldly, earthly view of self-good. Interesting, you read that passage, I don't believe in coincidences. It's one of the saddest passages in all Scripture. God was sorry that he'd made man because evil was continually in his heart. Romans chapter 3, Paul, he's writing the Romans and he's quoting the Scriptures and he says, no, no, there's not one good, not one good, no, not one. I taught that in a Bible class at a Bible, fundamental Bible church, and I was teaching that third second and third chapter of Romans and an elder of God's church came to me and said, please, would you stop teaching that? lesson there. Read it. Eh, Read it. There's no, there's not one of us good. He said it's really upsetting people. These are God's people. First Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. There's no abundant earthly living. There's no contentment where I can't pursue all the, uh, the lust of my flesh. There's no contentment And I need beer and women and whiskey and wine and debauchery and my rights and my foolishness, and I need all that. And the message of the cross says that's the very thing that condemns you. There's no humility in you. Wives will not humble themselves to their husbands. Husbands will not love their wives the way love. Uh, Christ loves the church. Children won't obey their parents in the Lord. There's No, there's not one good, and the message of the cross says that. And the message of the cross says to God's people that that's a scandal because just like in Romans 10 and 1, Paul would write there, I pray for the Jews that so they have a passion for God, but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. That's who we are. And there's no abundance. There's no contentment. There's no confidence. Uh, there's none, not spiritual, not heavenly, not eternal, in our righteousness. I want to challenge you this morning that you examine your life. You look at yourself and and you say this. Could I confidently say God is my witness? You can. But then the challenging thing is God is my witness in this relationship. That relationship, or this moment in my life, and what would the witness be? In John, First John, First John, John makes this wonderful statement, and it has to do with the witness of God. He says, "If we say that." we do not sin, we make God out. No, if we say we not sin, the truth is not in us. If we say we haven't sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And he's writing this to Christians. It's a witness. It's a testimony. It's a court of law. If we say we've not sinned, we lie and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. It's a witness. It's a testimony. He said, but if any of you does sin, here, this Church, this is so good. This is the gospel. He says, we have an advocate whose face is continually towards the Father. And he makes intercession for us. And and it's for the propitiation of our sins. He's looking at the Father. He's sitting at the right hand of God as the judge and Savior of all men. And he would say concerning any number of us, all of us, I hope, he would say, yes, Father, yes, Yes, he's a sinner. Yes, he's sinned. Yes, he lives in his pride and his ego. Yes, he's failed. Yes, he's like Paul. I have to die to sin daily. Yes, he's a chief of all sinners. But you know what? You know what? I have made his heart mine. I'm the perfecter and author of faith. I have made Aubrey's heart mine. I'm going to witness. I'm going to testify to that. Yeah, he's a sinner, and he lives in pride, and there's all this foolishness that's going on in his life. But you know what? I bring him to repentance. I've sealed him with the Holy Spirit. He grieves the Holy Spirit. Praise God that he grieves the Holy Spirit because... I appeal to him, and his, his heart gets broken. There's contention in his spirit. And you know what happens? I can witness to that. I can testify to that. My blood was enough. My blood was good enough. The, the very thing that brought him near to the cross was my blood, Father. He's innocent. He's innocent. And he's saved. Oh, what a witness. But it could be something else. It could be M I C K E Y M O U S C gospel. It could be, I'll continue to sin that grace may abound. Paul had to deal with that in Romans 6. He said, Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? There's a witness. He said, May it never be. (sighs) Weigh these things, church. Ask yourself is God your witness. Well yes he is. What is he witnessing? And and how hard is your heart? How big is your pride? Let's pray. Father in heaven. We reach out to you and uh, we cry out to you and uh, Father I pray that as the day of judgment nears as our final breath on this earth gets closer and closer that in the abundance that comes from you and the contentment that comes from you and the confidence of what you're doing in our life we could say that God you're my witness you are my witness I have failed you so many ways I love you and I need you and I repent oh God help me have mercy on me a sinner and it is in the name of Jesus we pray amen